It's time for another episode of the Infinite Loopback Podcast, an Apple-themed technology podcast with your hosts, Brian Baggett, Jim Graham, Brad Tarver, and Jason Young. Well, it's been a fun couple of weeks since we've uh, placed our orders and, and waiting on things to come in, so I guess we have a, we have a lot to talk about this, uh, this uh, episode. But before we get started, anything cool happened with you guys lately? Nothing really cool, just been kind of, uh, you know, work, work, work. It's uh, it's a good time to be in the car business. A scary time, but a good time. So I guess it's picking back up post-pandemic now. Well, I guess we're still kind of in a pandemic, but, you know, picking up more than it was, I guess. Yeah, we're still in a pandemic. Uh, the biggest issue right now is, of course, this uh, semiconductor shortage that uh, any anybody who's attempted to get a video card uh, fully understands about the difficulties of the shortage. And anybody that's gone through and driven by a car lot will notice that the new inventory at these lots is precariously low at this point. Um, some of the imports did a good uh, Tim Cook job of reading the crystal ball and were able to stock up on the semiconductor ship chips ahead of the shortage. Uh, but even even Toyota's getting a little low at this point. So uh, it's and it's it's starting to hit everybody at this point. But uh, the great thing is people are still out there wanting to get cars. So as long as we got them, we're going to keep slinging them. Well, apparently people want gas, too, so that's been quite a challenge for everybody. But here in Atlanta, was it, 71% of gas stations were empty because of this panic-buying nonsense. But uh, it sounds like everything is starting to... It's a good time to be in the ransomware business. <laughs> it's a, apparently a great time because uh, the oil company paid the ransom, $5 million. And I read that the decryption tool that they gave them was so slow that they were still having to rely on backups to do the restores. So... Uh, you pay five million dollars and you can't even get an optimized decryptor tool. Wow, that's that's what kind of what kind of data kidnappers are you people? I mean, that's the that's pathetic. What uh, what's going on with you, Brad? Uh, well, we just bought a new house, so we'll be moving in probably two or three weeks. We close in two weeks, so I'm hoping I can at least take possession in, in two weeks. Brad's house is pretty sweet. Have you shown the guys on the uh, on the on the Telegram? What you no, I, I haven't shown anybody. I've sent Jim a location of it just to show him like where it was, you know, in 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 regards of where he would know where it was since he used to live in that area. Yeah, po- post Katrina, pre Dallas. Well, you definitely ought to do an MTV Cribs style walkthrough. You know, make the uh, omelets with the uh, the ground up diamonds on the uh, dinosaur egg like uh, Chappelle what I always remember was like you know they would go always into tripping the bat into the bedroom and they're like this is where the magic happens you know (laughs) (laughs) and then the big tv rises out of the foot of the bed you know (laughs) okay that was admittedly the always the cool uh the cool thing is when the tv would come up out of the bed I, I so wanted one of those back when back when that was a thing the most baller thing I think is in the new house is um, it has one of those pot fillers over the stove. Oh, what's that pot filler? A pot filler, so it, it's got a faucet over the stove. Ah, that's so. Oh my gosh! So you don't that, have to carry the baller. pot full of water over I to the stove. I need this immediately. How did I not know that, about this? That's pretty baller. Well, hell, I wish I had known about that. Don't tell my wife I'll have a plumbing project for the weekend. Uh, it was definitely a new thing for me. My wife acted like she knew what it was, and I was like, what is this again? She's like, it's this. I'm like, oh, okay. That is super handy, though. I can't wait to see uh, Can't wait to see you move in there, Brad. You're going to have a new background that we're going to see from your new office and the new place. Uh, a new messy office. <laughs> <laughs> 
He's just going to take a picture of it empty, and that's going to be like his uh, his Skype background, and it'll just there always you go. be pristine. No Do it when it's in its pristine state, and you'll never have to uh, to worry about it again. Well, I've got some um, canvas Star Wars paintings that I've been putting off, hanging up in my office, just because there was the the knowledge that we were going to be moving soon ish. So I'll definitely be hanging those up in the new office. Yeah, I want to see that. I have these posters behind me that I ordered, you know, last summer, and they're still rolled up. I have to do something about that and get them uh, framed and hung. It's one of many things that I have just neglected, I guess. So uh, I know what that's like. All right, let's go ahead and jump into things. So, Josh, you got a new piece of gear this week. Yes, I did. Well, y'all were all buying your M1s and your AirTags and everything else. I uh, was getting extra kit for my existing equipment. Um, I have been uh, uh, for a long time with my iPad. I've, I've got a 2018 12.9 iPad Pro, the third gen, and I've been uh, using a bridge keyboard, the first first type of bridge keyboard that came out for the 2018 12.9 uh no trackpad but it's it's done really well i've been really pleased with it and then the magic keyboard came out and i said wow i really like that thing but i don't like it 349 dollars worth and i still don't um kind of checking sales and of course the 11 inches would go on sale but the 13 inches never did and it would go from 349 oh it's on sale for 320 nope that's still terrible and uh just one day, about three weeks ago now or so, uh, was looking around, found one of the low price places, and they said, well, Best Buy had it for $100. Really? When did this happen? Go and look. And it was a Geek Squad refurbished 12.9 that showed sold out, no stock, but it was $99. And I'm like, well, this looks like one of those pages that they just forgot to delete and get rid of. And, uh, Took my time. I said, well, I'll just check it. So for the last three weeks, I've been religiously checking it over and over again. Finally, this past Friday night, 10 p.m., right before I go to bed, I check it again, and it showed Add to Cart. Um, luckily, it was not a PS5 or a RTX 3080, so I was able to hurry up, Add to Cart, still logged in, and it said order complete. And I'm like, well, they'll cancel it here in a little bit. Shipped out Saturday morning, and it came in this Tuesday. And... Uh, I I do have to admit, uh, the Magic Keyboard, Magic is an excellent word for it. Uh, it is a very, very well-designed keyboard. Um, I like the key action on it a lot better than I did on the bridge. The bridge would just kind of feel a little off at times, but it was still, it was still plenty good enough. Um, the removing it from the case is, of course, just, uh, that's amazing. It, uh, the, the hinge is, is still, the, the bridge keyboard will open all the way up to 180 degrees. So if I'm sitting weird in my lap, I can kind of have it open at a high angle and still use it. The Magic Keyboard, I can't do that. Um, the case itself fits a lot snugger. I'm much, uh, the trackpad, of course, is just, uh, I'm still not used to it. I've used, a, I've, I've used it without a trackpad for so long, I'm getting used to using the trackpad more. Uh, but it is extremely well done as well. The fact that... Uh, the back, the backlight on the keys on the Magic Keyboard all the time works and doesn't give me terrible battery drain is a wonderful deal. Um, on the bridge, if you keep the backlight on the keyboard off, you'll get anywhere from 6 to 12 months out of the charge, a full charge on the bridge keyboard. If you turn the backlight on, it's got three settings. Even if you keep it on the first or second setting, you're going to get about 20 hours of charge out of it. Uh, there's just something about the way they put those lights in that it burns through the battery. Uh, when I first got it and turned it on, I'd get about a week's charge out of the battery. And I'm like, what in the world? And contacted Bridge, and they said, oh, yeah, um, do you have the backlight on? Well, yeah, well, there's your problem. 
And I'm like, well, that's a little ridiculous, but okay, fine, whatever. Don't hold it that way. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, have you tried turning it off and turning it back on again? But um, I, I got it. Uh, it, it yeah, it's, I just got used to not using the bridge without the backlight. I'm like, well, it's, it's okay. Um, there are some things on the bridge I do miss. Uh, across the very top of the bridge keyboard, it has a full row of function keys. So on the bridge keyboard, you can control brightness up and down, volume up, down, and mute. Um, it did have a dedicated button to get back to the home screen. It had a dedicated button to lock and put the iPad to sleep. And uh, I've, I've found myself going up to that top row for those a number of times with the Magic Keyboard. Uh, it is very, that stuff's just been ingrained to me. Um I believe I, I need to do some research tonight. There is an emoji key on the Magic Keyboard that I'm sure I can use some software to remap into something else. Um, but I did learn today that uh, on the Mac, I know at least since Mojave, you can do Control-Command-Q on a Mac and lock your screen. You can do the same short keyboard shortcut on the iPad Magic Keyboard, and it locks and puts the iPad to sleep. So I'm like, well, that was the big complaint I had that, that had that fixed. Um but, uh, Brian, I know your Magic Keyboard's come in. Your iPad has not yet, unfortunately. But uh, I, I have to admit, the I, I still, at the end of the day, I still don't know that it's worth $350 for a keyboard case. But it is the nicest keyboard case on the market. And it really is, I stopped short of saying it's a must-have accessory for an iPad Pro, but it is really, really nice. I mean, at this point, I think we're all used to having to pay the Apple tax to get their stuff, right? I mean, this is, it's the most common complaint I ever see on Twitter is how dare they charge X amount of dollars for something. And sure, I would love for them to, uh, to charge a lesser price, but it's kind of like, you know, if you compare it to like the car world, you know, your, your high-end cars also have high-end accessories. And if you buy those accessories for them, those of us who do that, no, you're going to just get raked across the coals. Like you're going to get gouged just because they charge premium for their thing with a logo on it. It just, it's the, it's the way of the world, fair or not. And it's going to be the best of the best. It's not going to feel cheap. It's, you know, it's, it, it, they might have to go through three generations of it to get it right. Sort of like with the keyboards on the, you know, 16 to 19 MacBook Pros, but Overall, it's going to be the best thing out there for your Apple product. I wish that that weren't the case, but oftentimes that is the case. Like I'll look at, uh, I was looking at the new Logitech competitor for the Magic Keyboard, and I was, you know, looking at the pictures and the, and eh, you know, it's kind of close. I mean, it was one of those things where, you know, it used the smart connector, so that was a bonus for me, and you know, it had a lot going in its favor. It was a hundred dollars cheaper than the Magic Keyboard, but. One of the things that I like about the Magic Keyboard, as opposed to the competitors, whether they're from Bridge or Logitech, is that it doesn't try to turn the iPad Pro into a laptop. That's one of the things that I don't like about those keyboards, is that it's like, hey, we'll turn your iPad Pro into a MacBook. It's like, I don't necessarily want it to look like a MacBook. Like I can, I can see where that would be appealing to someone, just not me. And I kind of like the floating feel that the Magic Keyboard has, even though, of course, it's not. But having it hover above the the key space, I like. I like the keyboard on the Magic Keyboard. It's surprisingly comfortable to uh, to type on. Again, my only experience with this came when I was in the hospital last fall, and uh, Jason, who was nice enough to loan me his 2018 iPad Pro and his Magic Keyboard and his pencil while I was in the uh, ICU for a while, I got a chance to use it then, feel how sturdy it was, know what to expect. I guess so. When the you know I finally did take the plunge, I would uh, I would have a 
frame of comparison to, you know, I could, I could say, okay, I've used this before. What did I like? What did I dislike? And I'm with you on that. So one of the things obviously I missed was not having an escape key. That was something that was kind of a problem, but of course you can remap those, you know, as I, and the link that I sent, it shows how to do that, you know, pretty easily. And to your point, remapping some of the keys is not that big of a deal. So you can go in and make shortcuts for things. You have access to all the gestures that you had before, which correct me if I'm wrong. Did the, did the, uh, did the bridge have access to all of the iPad gestures or was it a subset or? All right. On the bridge has done two separate revisions to their iPad pro keyboard, so to speak. The first one was, I think they called it the pro max or something to that effect that did have a key. It did have a trackpad. They announced it right before the magic keyboard came out and the gestures on it were woefully terrible. Uh, I don't even think you could do gestures on it. I don't think you could do pinch to zoom or anything else on it. They did update that with uh, firmware revisions. They did finally push it through, and then they came out with the Pro Max Plus. If I'm getting the names wrong, forgive me. I'm doing this off of memory. And the Pro Max Plus has a much larger trackpad on it. Uh, It also has a much larger... uh, it's um, it's got a bigger trackpad on it, but this one also was announced after the first one came out. And so the first one kind of had a smaller trackpad that's, I think, a little smaller than the Magic Keyboards. The second one is like a, a it's, it's much bigger, like on a 15 or 16-inch MacBook Pro. It's a big trackpad on this thing. Um, but yes, I do believe at this point they have all the gestures, thanks to firmware updates that the, that the Magic Keyboard does. Well, that's at least something, too, because that was something I... I to the magic keyboards credit it always seems to have whatever apple supports it's going to have it in there so it's you're basically not getting any compromises for the price of that uh, of that accessory i like the easiness of which the keyboard detaches so most of the time i'm going to be using my ipad like an ipad i'm not going to be using it like a computer but there are going to be plenty of times where you know i'm uh, playing on telegram or you know sending an email with spark or whatever and i'll, I'll like to uh, type instead of having to uh, to swipe to type on my phone or something like that so you know it's because the keyboard on the screen itself even when you use the tiny one is woefully inadequate in my opinion like i have never in the history of ever liked typing on the screen of that ipad it's not uh it's not good key travel is terrible works in a pinch but it's not something you want to do on the regular yeah i think that's a good way to put it it's it's something you would do if you had to now i did like when they had the uh you could uh do the pinch and make it a tiny keyboard like an iphone keyboard but again a lot of the swipe typing doesn't seem to work as smoothly for me on that as it does on just like a normal iphone so having that option of being able to pull it off the keyboard I mean, yeah, pull it off the keyboard case, use it, put it back. Uh, it's pretty good as well. And it doesn't break like the Kensington dock. <laughs> ah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, let's talk about that for just a second. So the uh, the Kensington dock that we talked about a few shows back, it, uh, it shipped, what, back in March, I guess? And the thought was, hey, this is for 12.9-inch iPads, which haven't really changed much. The 2018, the 2020, you know, every reason to believe the 2021 version of this was still going to have, you know, it should work with it, right? Apparently that millimeter or whatever that the new iPad is, the one that's just enough off. Half a millimeter. Oh, half a millimeter. 
is just enough to cause all sorts of havoc. So it doesn't work with the Kensington stand that we looked at, which itself was $400, by the way. And I think uh, this week I was looking at uh, Christopher Lawley's Twitter. If you haven't seen Christopher Lawley's YouTube channel, you really should. He makes some really great YouTube videos, and we'll talk more about his stuff in just a second because he made a recommendation in one of those that Josh and I bought, and I think we're both kind of happy with. But on his Twitter, he showed where he went to remove it, and it just broke the Kensington stand off. This is on his 2020 iPad, mind you. And uh, just broke it off. And for $400, that thing had better be like super, super sturdy. Now, there are reports that they are making a revised model for the 2021. But if you bought this thing in March, expecting by May you'd be able to use it, I hope your return window hasn't closed because it's not. And uh, otherwise, they're not going to be inclined to take your money back. The other thing that's kind of, I guess, not sad is not the right word, but very disappointing is that this has Thunderbolt 3 support, but now the new iPad for 2021 just came out, and this has Thunderbolt 4, so, you know, this doesn't support that. Now, I know this seems like a very first-world whiny type of thing, but, I mean, hear me out on this. This accessory is announced in January. It comes out in March, and once it's out, you're expecting, oh, maybe I'll use this with a new thing that may be coming out in, you know, April, because everyone knew it was coming in April. It comes out, and not only does it not support the new iPad, but it isn't even the cool Thunderbolt. Again, this is because it was released in March of 2021, and it was $400 for an aluminum stand, and apparently it's not built as well as you would hope it would be for $400. You combine all of these disappointments, and I'm just glad that I didn't secretly take the plunge behind everyone's back and buy this thing in anticipation. So, probably one of my smarter hold-off moves. Yeah, I'm just, I'm very thankful to, uh, I'm, I'm I'm glad nobody jumped that kind of money on this thing. And kind of hate it for Kensington, but under the same token, how did they not know that there was a new iPad coming out that would change just a little bit? And why would you not hold off announcing, or even shipping the product? Maybe announcing it I could get, but instead of saying, putting it out for sale, waiting to see that, you know, that ensure that this is going to work with the new thing. Like you release one and then a month later, Apple releases the new thing. And let's be honest, the people that buy the iPad Pro are probably the ones that are going to spend $400 on an aluminum stand. So you've just, you've just pissed off that audience. Well, not even so much that, but the ones that are going to spend $400 on an iPad stand are the same ones that are going to buy the newest iPad every time it comes out. They're the ones that are going to upgrade every single time they have an opportunity to. Very probably. It, that's a disappointment that that even happened, but you know, not the not the end of the world. But back to Christopher Lawley for a second. He also made a video where he was recommending some of his favorite iPad gear for the 2020 iPad. Now, lest I get locked into the same position, the vendor had already updated it for the 2021 iPad as well, so I, I knew that I was safe. But he recommended this TomTalk case, this sort of port- hard shell portfolio case for the iPad Pro. And yes, just like the iPad Pro, it's a little bit on the bulky side, but the things you can put in it are like the power brick, your USB C case your pencil, magic keyboard. And, you know, I think we were talking about that on Telegram. You're like, what do I need a backpack for? And it's like, well, you know, you drop that in your backpack and you have other stuff. Everything iPad is iPad can contained. It's a nice hard shell. So if you drop it on its own, it's, I hate the sleeves. Like I've had sleeves for iPads and they're basically just, they keep it from getting scratched, but otherwise they're worthless because if you drop it, then you've just dinged and dented your, your iPad. So I like having something that has sort of that, uh, that hard shell. So I'm glad, uh, I'm glad we were able to do that. And that was only like uh, 40 bucks. So it wasn't a it wasn't a super expensive iPad accessory, and I think it's going to be a worthwhile purchase. Again, eventually, someday, I'll start traveling again, and then I can uh, I can easily put that in a backpack. I'm guessing it at over 13 inches to be able to hold this thing that it's not going to fit in like a little sling bag anymore. I'm, I'm going to have to find a, an appropriate laptop bag that uh, that is small but not 
huge, I guess, uh, for this purpose. But you bought yourself an extra accessory that I did not buy. Please, uh, please enlighten us, Josh, and, and why you need it exactly. Well, I'll... Uh... I'll, I'll throw in my two cents about the TomTok case. Um, it is a lot thicker than I thought it was going to be. And uh, I, the previous case I used for my 12.9 that I've had is actually an old book case. Uh, it's a B-O-O-Q company that it's basically, uh, I want to say it's some type of Kevlar material. It's a little flexible, but stuff ain't getting damaged in this thing. Um, and it's, it's, uh, when I say flexible, you can bend it a little bit. It's not a, it's a harder shell, but it's not a hard shell. Um, but I kept a MacBook air in it for years and years, a 13 inch MacBook air. And then when I moved to an iPad pro, I've kept my iPad pro in it. It is a 13 inch case. It was a little roomy on the pro, but it, it kept my pro safe for years and, uh, used it on its own. And then when I got the bridge keyboard, I kept it connected to it and had no issues with it. Um, this TomTok case with the Magic Keyboard and the pencil attached, my 12.9, it is a snug fit as it should be, so it's not moving around. Um, it does have a panel in the middle, kind of a flappy panel to keep a, a front and a back part of it. You put your iPad in the back part, everything else goes in the front. Um, it is a little heavier and it's a little thicker than I thought, but it still fits great in my backpack. And it took me a couple of days to get used to it, but I'm, I, I love this case now. Very glad I made the purchase. The other one... Um, I am the only person in my house that on their iPhones does not use a screen protector. Uh, my wife and my daughter keep the tempered glass screen protector people in business. Uh, they go through one about every 60 days. My son has his in a, in a full-scale OtterBox. Wow. Uh, that he, well, it, it, the phones are fine, but the tempered glass does get scratched. It'll, it'll get a good scratch or a crack on it. You know, I'm, I, I don't ask these questions anymore. I'm just glad my daughter quit sitting on her phones and breaking them that way. I carry my phone around the house like I'm carrying like a wet muffin or something. It's just like, you know, it's 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 going to get pampered. You know, it's like the dog on the pillow. I just carry it around very carefully. I am the same way. I, I, I tend to try to be as careful as I can with my stuff. Um, the my iPhone that I've got, you can see in terrible quality. I basically just keep a small bumper case around it. Uh, there is a back part of the case, but I just, it's a very thin case. And I do use that because sometimes I am klutzy. It will drop out of my, my hand and doing it that way. It is protected. Um, I've only, of all the years I've had an iPhone, I've only ever really damaged the screen once. And that was karma after my daughter sat on her phone and destroyed it. And Bennett, uh, how do you do this? Me and your mother have had phones for years. We've never had anything happen. Well, I was walking to my office the next morning and dropped it and it landed perfectly flat on the tile at work and completely shattered my front screen on my seven. And I'm like, well, it's because I chewed my daughter out. All right, fine. But other than them, knock on wood, no issues. Um, so I don't keep screen protectors on them. On my iPad, uh, this is, I'm pretty sure that they they did send me a refurb. I had an issue with the SIM card in mind that quit working. I have a cellular iPad. So under Apple Care Plus, they replaced it and uh, got the new one. And I've had it for probably a few months now. And somehow I've gotten a couple of very small, barely can be seen scratches. But I know they're scratches because you lightly take your fingernail and run across. Oh, yep, there's a little thing there. And then I did put one decent little scratch on it because I was trying to clean my screen from a bunch of crap and there was a little grain of something that I didn't notice and sure enough went to wipe it down heavy and scratched it. That's pretty sure how I did that. So long story short of saying I got me a tempered glass screen protector for my 12.9 inch iPad 
Um, the way the bridge design works, it kind of it has clips in the bottom that it sits into. They're rubber tipped clips, and some people have had reports of it squeezing the iPad and damaging it. Again, I used it for three years. I've not had that issue with it. Um, but because of where it clamps, all the screen protectors go edge to edge. They have a little notch cut out for the cameras, but even on the 12.9s, it's edge to edge all the way across. There was no way I was going to try that with the the way the bridge works. With the Magic Keyboard, sure, I'll give it a shot. Um, I think it was a JE Tech that I got, 12 13 bucks on Amazon. Um, easy to put on. I'm, I'm actually pretty pleased with it. Um, I would almost say the screen somehow looks a little more vibrant with this than it does normally. Um, I have a very oily complexion. My hands get oily all the time. And so I would have to wipe my iPad screen down quite often because of the oil buildup on it. And I think it may, again, it may just be because I gave everything a thorough cleaning before I put the screen, before I put the screen protector on. And I've only had the screen protector on there two or three days, but uh, it looks, it looks, I, I like the way it looks. I've used the pencil on stuff. And with this tempered glass, I've not noticed any issues with the pencil. The pencil still writes just as good as it did before. Okay. That makes a bit more sense because I've wondered for the longest time, it's like, how are you scratching your iPad? That makes a little more sense, right? The little tiny micro scratches. I thought you were somehow gouging it out with a car key or something like, what are you doing to your iPad over there (laughs) that you need a screen protector on it? All right, Brian, me and you, I can already tell me and you are highly alike in one deal. All right. You can have an 8K screen. All right. Let you find that there is one, one dead pixel on that screen. And for the entire rest of the time that you watch it, it doesn't matter what you're watching. It doesn't matter how it, you might go 15, you might go 30 seconds before you re-notice that pixel and go, oh, dadgummit, there's a busted pixel in there. Once you've seen that, you cannot unsee Correct. it. And even the little bitty, you know, what other people, I could hand this, I could hand my iPad to my wife or my kids and I have them use it. It might take them months before they see these scratches. Once I've seen this scratch, I, I, it's, I go to it every single time. And again, no, it's not bad. It might be. It's, it's like a car crash. You can't look away. <laughs> right. I can't look away. Once I've seen it and I'm just, oh, throw it away. I got to get me another one. And it's, it's not that bad, but it's still bad. Apple care. Engage. And while we're discussing this, that is the final purchase I've made on this. Uh, my wife, my wonderful wife, got me this iPad and pencil uh, three years ago in two, April 2018 for a birthday gift. Um, when I got it, it's actually the first product I've ever bought Apple Care Plus for. Uh, I've never had it for any of my phones or anything else. And I bought the Apple Care Plus for it. And uh, it ran out, it, it kicked in in April of 2019, or May of 2019. It ran out on May 1st of this year. Well, Apple has changed their policy on the Apple Care Plus, and now, after the two years are up on, I believe, I know on iPads, I'm pretty sure on Macs, and it may be for the iPhones as well, you can now continue on a monthly fee. And so my, whatever I paid for the iPad care initially for the two years, I can now pay an additional $6 a month. And from what I can tell, it will carry on indefinitely. Uh, still two claims a year on insurance of accidental damage, $50 a claim. And, uh, oh yeah, the Magic Keyboard is also covered under the same Apple Care policy now as well. And it has a tw- it and the pencil are $25 deductibles, I do believe. 
Yeah, that's the uh, that's the nice thing about the uh, the policy, which was a new thing for me. I mean, my as a general rule for me, and I was just discussing this with someone on Twitter the other day when we were talking about Apple Care Plus. My rule is if it costs more than five hundred dollars, and or you know, it's a not a necessarily a binary situation, but if it also uh, is a first gen product, so like for like an M1 Mac Mini, you know, it's over five hundred bucks and it's a first gen product. I got to get the Apple Care on it. When it comes to things like the AirPods Max, that's also one of those things where it's a first-generation product. It's over $500, not easily repairable, so you want to get the uh, the Apple Care Plus for that. When it comes to things like the pencil, like I wouldn't normally buy it for the pencil or something like that, but as Jason informed us, and I haven't seen anything to the contrary yet, it looks like when you do buy all of that stuff together and you buy Apple Care, it's all-encompassing for that purchase. So we're going to test that out. I hope so. But the fact that they let you go so far beyond the two years anymore is also kind of a kind of a one thing. It's a testament to their build quality because they don't expect to have any problems. Clearly, if they're going to let you keep doing that beyond a certain window. And it also gives you that peace of mind of if something goes wrong, I'm just a single deductible away of trying to go and fix this. Of course, you get like two deductibles a year or something like that. And But, you know, if you don't have the Apple Care Plus on the iPad Pro, for example, it's going to cost you, I think, $700 to get the uh, the screen repaired just by itself. Right. So that, I mean, that right away is it's it's worth the eight bucks a month or 150 or whatever the thing is for the two years to uh, to go ahead and have it. So that's what I did. I did go ahead and opt for that. I did the uh, I did I went full ham on this on this iPad Pro man. I I went all out because again, longtime listeners of the show will notice that I haven't bought an iPad Pro in four years, and you know I sent my other one back to Amazon, not Amazon, to Apple, huh, Freudian slip. And we'll talk about that in just a minute, how that process stank. But, uh, you know, I went ahead and sent that back to Apple to get a credit. I'm getting the credit through uh, through Verizon for going ahead and activating that with them. But, yeah, I went ahead and got the 2 terabyte cellular plus Wi-Fi. Because, again, I plan on keeping this. These these things are so overpowered now, so ridiculously overpowered. I can remember back in the old days, old days, like 10 years ago, when we would buy an iPad and then, oh, the iPad Air 2 is coming out. Oh, I got to get that. Oh, the iPad Air 3. You know, and it was a big jump. And I'm sure that the M processors, M series processors and the iPad Pros will go up, you know, exponentially as well. But these things are so overpowered for the OS that powers them that they're going to get several years of life out of this. This isn't like an iPhone where I go and just, you know, for grins and giggles, update it every year because I'm part of the upgrade program. But this one I'm going to hang on to for, for quite a while. And that cost of going all out on it has ensured that I'm not going to buy another one for, for quite a while. So I, I am looking forward to that uh, getting here. But yes, it's frustrating. The pencil's here. The case is here. The magic keyboard is here. Everything is here but the iPad. There's a gaming podcast I listened to, and a guy had pre-ordered the, the PS5 and an extra controller for it. And his PS5 his PS5 controller, extra controller, came in, and he had to wait like four more months for the ps5 to come in i was like man that's terrible don't even get me started on that crap that uh i got i got burned today but anyway 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 no i that that's exactly sort of what uh what i feel like also on the process i'll, I'll get back to it now the process on trading in the uh the ipad pro they uh apple is actually pretty good about giving you what they say they'll give you so for those of us that use to use services like gazelle and those things back in the old day or uh i forget what the other competitor was that i used to use glide uh, maybe that was Glide it. was awesome. I miss Glide. 
You know how you would go and you would put in the thing and it was like, we estimate we'll give you $300. You're like, all right. And then they get it and they're like, our new offer is $210. And, you know, I would, in those days, I used like uh, the, the screen protector, the case, the, you know, it never saw daylight where it was exposed on any side. So I'd send in these pristine phones. And plus I would clean them before I sent them back and like get the little Q-tips and like it looked like a new phone. when like, I used gloves and everything. I'd send it back and they would just, you know, lowball me on those things. Well, Apple doesn't really give you the best option on what they're trading in for, but they also don't do a bait and switch. So if they say you'll get up to this amount and then you put in and it's like, does it turn on? <laughs> Is the screen cracked? You know, does it uh, whatever? You know, you, you answer like four questions and it's like, okay, you'll get this amount, which I think my old 2017 iPad Pro, they wanted 284, which was still on the low side. I know when I was told we were talking about this in Telegram, Jason was like, there's no way I'd part with my iPad Pro 2017 for $280 because he got like the cellular one that I had with the, I think the 512 gig storage that it had. But then again, at the same time, he's like, why is my battery only lasting 13 hours now? And like I had charged up at hundred percent by the end of the day with no usage. It's 10%. It's like, and that's why I accepted 280 for it when I'm sending it back. Because if I sold this thing on eBay or some other place, whoever got it would be like, Hey man, you sold me something that, uh, doesn't last very long and you know who wants to deal with that apple this is your problem now you sold me this thing with a bad battery you take it back but i was going to use that uh use that gift card to actually put it toward the cost of the ipad pro so i turned this thing around ridiculously fast it took them four days to send me an empty box as soon as i got the empty box slapped the ipad into it drove it to the fedex place dropped it off you know by the next morning this is tuesday the pre-orders go live on friday tuesday morning 9 30 a.m they have it received i'm like okay cool i'll give them the rest of the day close of business tuesday they still haven't marked it as inspected. Close business Wednesday. It's finally inspected. All day. Well, okay. Actually, it was sometime on Wednesday. So you had all of Wednesday, all of Thursday. Yep, we're waiting to pay you. We're waiting to pay you. They paid me at 6 p.m. on Friday. Pre-orders went live at 8 a.m. on Friday. So thanks for nothing on that one, uh, Apple. Though though in the end, Apple still won because I used that to pre-order an Apple TV 4K. So... <laughs> Well, it's like found money at that point, right? I mean, it's like it's an Apple gift card. Right. My recurring Apple One subscription will slowly gnaw it away if I don't spend it on something. So, And you got you to gotta get something. I mean, come on. Well, you know, I did offer to get my wife an iPhone SE because she's been complaining about her iPhone 8 cutting off phone calls and having these weird issues. And I'm like, you've had that thing for like five years. Let me get you an SE. And she just, she won't let me do it. So... I didn't really feel bad about that Apple TV 4K because I did offer and she just didn't take me up on it. So yeah, I, I should be getting that at, at some point as well. But moving right along. So AirTags, I got one. Actually, I got four. Brad, did you do the four pack or a single? I got the four pack. Did you get any engraving on it? I did, but I wasn't very creative on it. I just got B1, B2, B3, and B4. And then I wound up distributing them to my family. So now they all have an AirTag that has a B on it, which means Brad. So I meant for it to be sort of serialized for me, but I I feel like my family's going to get more use out of them than I do. So two of them went to my wife. One of them's on my dog, and I have a fourth that's basically unused right now. That's uh, that's kind of the situation I'm in. You know, perhaps it wasn't the most financially prudent thing for a man who is sort of confined to his house to buy something that will help him find things when lost, especially when he's not good at losing things anyway. That being said, I did get the four pack as well. I got my initials, my wife's initials, and a dog emoji for my dog for when I put that on her collar. And uh, then I went about finding the uh, key loops that I wanted to use. And my wife loves the color orange. So I went and bought a cheap one that was off Amazon. And the orange is just sort of like a pale orange. It's more like a tangerine. It's not really the right thing. Uh, I did buy, I did break down and get the red leather loop for the keychain on the... uh, 
for the key fob, and it was just that was perfect for me. Love it. And I've I found a couple of cheap orange ones that are be, that are coming on their way from China currently. That should be here by the end of the month. And uh, I think I got a pink one for my dog that'll go on her collar. So that's not here yet. So I haven't put that on her yet. But uh, not really losing anything right now. So that's been the that's been the the thing for me. I do have a spare one that I can put in a backpack. Again, this is more. I didn't pull the little tab on it to activate the battery either on the ones that have not been activated yet. So the dog and the spare one still have the little film so that they're not burning their little uh, CR2032 uh, battery. So that's at least nice. But I do look forward to uh, to trying this out. Uh, maybe I'll try it at my parents' house and play. Uh, I'll hide my keys somewhere and then go see how long it takes me to, or have my wife do it and see how long it takes me to find them. I think that would be a fun activity. There you go. Make a game out of it. Hide my dog and see how long it takes me to find her. Yeah, I was gonna ask if y'all have done any uh, if y'all have done any hide and go seeks with them yet. Well, the the thing that I did that is I'm gonna say is supremely disappointing about these things because wouldn't you know it, this wouldn't be a good Apple podcast if I wasn't complaining about something rather than praising them. But one of the things that I expected this would work in a certain way and it just didn't. So for those of us who have HomePods or HomePod minis, you can do something like, you know, you can invoke Siri and ask where your iPhone is, right? And it'll ping it. Now you can do that with your Apple Watch, sure. But you can also do it with your iPad. You can do it with like other things. Guess what you can't do it with? AirTags. Like I said, you know, find my keys from to the HomePod. It's like, I'm sorry, you'll have to do that on your iPhone. What? And it's, it's like, come on, really? What an obvious use case is find my keys and just have the thing ding. I'm not wanting to use the ultra wide, you know, chip to actually whatever. I just give me an audio signal that I can follow for just 10 seconds. That would be nice. And it's like, no, I'm sure they'll fix that in a future update, but that's, that was supremely disappointing to me, especially since my iPad can tell me and my wife apart now. You know, I didn't ask to find my wife's keys. I asked to find my keys. And sorry, can't help you. You got to do it on your iPhone. The moose out front should have told you. And that that just really, ugh, it really, really sort of irritated me. The other thing that's kind of a disappointment with this is that you can't have tags shared across a family. So I think one of our one of our pals on our Mississippi channel, Brad, ran into this where, you know, you get some air tags and you have, let's say you have multiple dogs and you put the tags on the dogs and you want yourself to find them or your wife to find them. Well, in order for, you know, in this case, let's say in my case, if I wanted my wife to be able to find the dog, let's say the dog got away, she would have to have my phone unlock it and then, you know, find a dog. She couldn't just because she's on my family plan, I can't delegate it to her as well. Now, again, these these things reek of 1.0. These things reek of it'll be fixed, but right out of the gate, those are two annoyances that I'm kind of surprised even exist. Josh, you look like you have something to say. So let me I do. Let me make sure I get this straight. All right. So I've we're on a family plan here. It's me and my wife and my two kids. Um because I am lazy, and technologically advanced, I don't go upstairs to wake my children up anymore. I pull up the Find My app, I find their phone on the family plan, and I ping their phone and make it make the noise to wake them up when they need to wake up. We can all do that to each other's devices. But you're telling me these air tags, they have to be registered to a person, and then only that person can locate that tag. Nobody else in the family can do it. That's absolutely ludicrous. I heard that on Reddit as well, but then again, it was confirmed with one of our uh, one of our show friends had the same issue. So that uh, I'm assuming that is actually the case. I myself haven't had a chance to to test that. I guess I could when my wife gets home is to to uh, to try to find her keys. But I know that it's it's probably going to complain about that. 
Well, the one I put on my dog, you know, I put it on my wife's phone and it's, you know, it doesn't show up on on mine. It shows up on hers. And I just did that because she's a little more fanatical about the dog than I am. Which is weird, too, because on my Apple One account, I can see myself, my brother's phone, his iPad, his Mac, my sister's iPad, her Mac or whatever. No, wait a minute. She only has an iPhone. My bad. Her iPhone, my niece's iPhone. I can see my niece's AirPods on Find My Right, you can see all of these other Apple devices in your family, but you can't see the AirTags, a device that only exists to find the item. But again, I'm pretty sure they were worried, because again, they've come under fire about stalking and how people can misuse these, and, and I'm sure that is a legitimate concern. I'm sure there's a lot of people that really worry about that, but this is also, you know, you also need to have a toggle that says, this is in a family, let the family find the following items. Exactly. Or it becomes a lot, it becomes a much harder sell at that, at that point. But I think we're just going through the uh, early adopter uh, blues. Well, I'm sure they'll have that fixed in the second generation version due out in 2027. <laughs> no, I have a feeling it's it's going to be... Uh, it's 2022. It's going to be good. <laughs> now, there were people who drilled holes in their air tags. That I know that was a complaint with, uh, and we talked about it a little bit on the last show, I'm sure, was that uh, there is no hole in the air tag. So if you go to Ars Technica or one of those other sites where they talk about this, the hole that they drilled... That's a tiny keyring hole. I mean, I'm sure it would probably work, and you can do it on your own, and pe- people are dragging Apple for this, but it's kind of like that thing is so tightly packed inside of there. Yeah, they squeezed a lot of tech into that little tiny space. I did see a post maybe on Reddit or Twitter about a guy f- basically disabling or dismantling one and turning it into a, a flat card that he can keep in his wallet. And it, it required some soldering, but... He, he he did make it work. It's pretty neat. Yeah, I kind of like that, too. That I, I admired that because, again, one place that I would want to put an AirTag is in my wallet because that that is something I would probably be more inclined to lose. And the little semi-cylindrical, not cylindrical, not even spherical, um, bulging disc, like a, like a bad back with your vertebrae type of thing, just doesn't really loan itself to being placed in something like a uh, a wallet. But I did like the card concept i would if apple made that i would have probably bought it you know before i would have bought three of the other air tags just just for that reason alone but well at 45 years old it looks like you've got a condom in your wallet sort of like when you were a teenager in the you know the movie tropes i was just about to say with the bulging disc reference that's one of those tell me you're 40 plus without telling me you're 40 plus exactly exactly see a certain subset of our listeners will, will absolutely get that. So, uh, yeah, I haven't had a chance really to put it through its paces. Those annoying things kind of uh, kind of bug me a little bit. I don't really care about the uh, the key ring hole. I mean, again, it's Apple likes to sell accessories, yeah, and so does the entire ecosystem of cheap knockoffs that just uh, that make it out there for five bucks. So, and so does Anker and Belkin and everyone else. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things where if they had a key ring hole in it, I don't know that I would have used it because there would have been no room for this thing to move on the... You want to talk about getting beat up. This thing would have... It gets scratched very easily as is. It would get really scratched really easily if it was so tightly threaded around a key ring like that. It just... I don't know. It would. I look forward to the day that every place takes Apple Pay and I don't have to take a wallet. I can just use my phone or my uh, my watch, which I was kind of in that position last week where I wished I had something like that. I went to... Uh, I had to take a lift over to the UPS store to drop something off and... Not only is there a shortage of everything else, there's a shortage of Lyft and Uber drivers right now, too. 
even out here in Metro ATL, where I used to have no problem finding a ride within five to seven minutes, now it was like, it's going to take 30 minutes for someone to come get you. So I kind of waltzed over to the local Kroger that has a Starbucks in it. And, you know, while I was killing time, I bought a tiny little iced, you know, a cold brew. And I'm thinking, maybe I could buy some groceries here. And it's like, oh, crap, I didn't bring my wallet. I only have my phone and my watch. And uh, I'm Googling contactless payment Kroger. Uh, so that was that was no good. You have to use their stupid little app. You can't. It's not like cool-ass Publix where you can just go and use Apple Pay. And plus they have those cool subs over in the uh, the deli that you can get that are awesome. And Or props to Walgreens. No, no, no. What? What? Oh, yes, for being an early adopter. Yes. No, I, I would agree there. They uh, Not only do they take Apple Pay there, they also put their loyalty card available via NFC, which I haven't seen any other retailer do, even though they all could do it. Oh, that's nice. What were you going to say, Josh? That's very nice. I, like, no, I just said, that's nice. I like that. Ah. I, when I go into Walgreens, I, like, I go in there with only my watch, and I'm like, ding, loyalty talk card, and then ding, pay. And that's then I walk out. And digital receipts. So I walk out there with only my bag. See, environmentally friendly. And you don't have to take your damn wallet. Uh, let's see. What else is going on? Uh... Do you want to talk about your iPad OS 15, iOS 15 wish list, Josh? Well, it, it's really, uh, you know, yeah. It the the main thing is on my phone, uh, my wonderful little iPhone 12 Mini. My main screen is nothing but widgets, and on my iPad, I have a little bitty column full of a whole bunch of widgets and then a whole mess of space of app icons. Apple, please, 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 for the love of Steve, give me the ability to put widgets all over my iPad home screen. Um, you know, I don't know why you, you didn't have it working, uh, but please, 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 please let me put widgets all over the iPad home screen. It would be infinitely more useful to me on the iPad than it would be on the iPhone. I just, I would... Please, please let me do this. Um, there's a lot of people that have talked about how multitasking needs to be completely revamped on the iPad. I get it a little bit, but for the most part, I'm kind of happy with where it's at. Um, you know, Brian, one of the things you've talked a lot about is how you don't want the iPad to become a Mac. You don't want that to happen. And especially with the Magic Keyboard, the more I use my iPad, the happier I am about having it just be one or two apps at any given time. Um, on the far way out there, uh, I, I would love to be able to see more devices work more like a Mac with an iPad, uh, audio recording like we do now. Um, podcast recording on an iPad is a pipe dream without buying a few hundred dollars worth of extra hardware to do off iPad recording of your mic. Um, it would be nice to be able to see something like Skype and audio hijack, both working together. Um, I, I just, I would really like to see that happen. And, uh, you know, really that, uh, that, that's really a lot of, it. of course, I mean, I'd still like to see Xcode, but I don't know that that's going to happen at this point. Um, it, it, it may, I mean, you know, with the M1, I guess it's kind of, it, it, if it was ever going to happen, this would be the year for it to happen. But I've also kind of said that the last three years, <laughs> come WWDC for everything. Um, the iPhone, I'm sure they're going to show me something amazing and fantastic that, oh my gosh, I never knew I needed that. But uh, really, the iPhone's in a great place for me right now. Um, iOS on the iPhone, it's, it's sure, 
it does everything I need it to do. Um, you know, on the iPad, I would like to see, uh, I still think there's an outside chance that the, with the M1s going in and hypervisor support being on the chip now in the, the fifth gen iPad Pros, I could see virtual machines becoming a deal, but I'm, at this point, if it doesn't happen, I'm, I'm fine with that too. Uh, and, uh, you know, Mac OS, I, I, again, I use a Mac, I use a Mac all the time at work and I use mine at the house a good little bit, but there's just nothing in the operating system that I'm like, Oh, I, I really wish it would have X, Y, Z. I'm just, I don't know. I, I'm just, it, I would just love for my iPad to be able to, to have the widgets and just uh, let us use the power for crying out loud. You know, how is it that this is Apple's tablet professional device and yet Apple does not make a single professional piece of software for it? Um, Their big three professional apps are Xcode, Final Cut Pro and Logic Pro. And while personally I'm a LumaFusion Ferrite kind of guy and they do everything I need them to do, I'd really like to see it happen. Um, Adobe's coming along at a snail's pace, bringing Photoshop up to speed with the with the, the full version. It, it is real Photoshop. Yes, but, uh, it, it's a lot better than it was a few months ago. Um, you can finally resize the image, <laughs> which believe it or not, you could not do in the first couple of versions. Uh, yeah, right. It, you, you could not resize the image. It was not possible to do that. Um, but I've, I've dipped in and out of Photoshop on the iPad a few times now and it runs great. Uh, you know, to your point, your M one is going to be as future proofed of a device as they've ever made. Um, I could easily see that thing five years from now still being giving you no issues speed wise. I'm three years into mine and there's still not a single instance that I've used an app and gone, well, man, why is this slowing down? Or man, why is this giving me an issue? It's just, it's beautiful. Um, just get, give us something to unlock all this power with Apple, please. And give me full screen widgets. Yeah. One of the things that I want to see is I want to see since iPad OS and iOS were forked, what was it? Two years ago, I think at this point. I really want to see further deviation from iOS inside of iPadOS. I want to see the the reason they did that. Because right now it hasn't been super obvious. There's nothing that seems to be an iPadOS that's not also an iOS. So, I, you know, they fork it. I want that fork in the road to start to diverge a little bit more. Show us some things that we weren't expecting. Show us some things that, you know, we didn't know we needed. Uh, that being said, there's plenty of things that we do need. I think the widget issue of it would be a great thing. Bring app library over to iPadOS. Uh, I use the the app library on my phone all the time. There, that's one of the most unappreciated features of iOS uh, 14, I think, or was it 13 that they they first did that. It's been the best thing. There's so many apps that I don't care about, that I don't want on my home screens. I don't want littered anywhere else. And I can just banish them to this this app library that are there when I need them. I'll give an example. Like, uh, you know, I used Bird and Lime for uh, scooters when I was in San Diego back in 2019. Because they're handy to have around when I do use them again, whenever that is, I didn't exactly want to delete them and have to go through that. But they update all the time, by the way. There's always updates for those apps. So banishing them to the app library is a great thing for me. They don't clutter my screen. I still get the benefit of having them when I need them. And it's just a spotlight search away. So it's perfect. Sometimes I forget I banish things to the to the library. And I, I look through the, where's that icon for that thing? And then, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like, why didn't I just search for this? So that's something that I hope that they do bring to iPadOS. Because that would that is something that, that is sorely missed over on its on its counterpart. I don't think the multitasking is something that 
affects me personally. So one of the things that I guess Apple is allowing Zoom to do is have access to the camera API so that, you know, you can use Zoom in one of the split screens and still have things you're reading from. Because again, whatever gets focused, I think takes away the camera or turns off the camera. I think they're going to be opening that up to everyone. I mean, I don't see that being something private that, uh, that's just going to be limited to to just Zoom or just FaceTime. But now that you're able to do things like that, like I try to think about my everyday use case in my job when I do return to it. You know, as a as a sales engineer, I'm pulling up, you know, I'm doing constantly things over Zoom. I'm connecting via, you know, uh, something like prompt on SSH or I'm loading up something in a browser to demonstrate, you know, a concept with. All of those things I could do on an iPad Pro. They wouldn't be as elegant as doing it on a Mac. I think I could switch between applications a little bit smoother inside of a Zoom or something like that, but certainly not impossible to be able to demonstrate this with. For my daily use case, I think it would be fine. I was going back and listening to our previous episode while I was editing and listening to Jim, who's not here tonight, uh, listening to his argument about, you know, what he was looking for out of a pro device, which he was looking for something that was more like a developer workstation. And while I get that, I really do. Like, I can, it doesn't seem, it shouldn't seem unreasonable that if you want to run a virtual machine, there shouldn't be some virtual machine support inside of an iPad. Now, I could see not bringing that to iOS. I could see bringing that to iPad OS if you're going to own the hypervisor. Now, in an M1 world, I don't think that's as valuable to me because I'm not going to be running the ARM version of Windows. I'm not going to be running the ARM version of Linux. I'm not, you know what I mean? Like, it's not like, uh, and you can't do the, you're not going to be doing the Intel emulation because we know that even on the Mac, VMware is not going to support that. Now, maybe Parallels is, but doing a processor emulation switch like that is going to make that, it's not going to make it as speedy as you would want it. So I'm... Well, there's no point in having a virtual machine at all if you're going to add that one more layer of complexity and, you know, a speed decrement. Well, I say that and you say that, but I guarantee you Jim would be there day one. Take my money, even though I can't picture that. So for me, having an Intel Mac or an M1 Mac that I can connect back to, in this case, I would need an Intel Mac if it was something that was Intel only, and being able to connect to it via, you know, uh, SSH or, you know, VNC or something like that, or having a, if I had a Windows machine where I'm RDPing to, you know, everything that I would be able, that I would need to do in that special instance, I have access to from anywhere in the world over a fast connection. And, you know, it just, it doesn't, that, that doesn't really seem like a use case that I'm looking for. Like I'm not wanting, I'm not running to wanting to run Mac OS apps inside of iPad OS. I'm wanting LumaFusion is a great example of, of a product that both has a touch interface that works. And then if you run it on an M1 Mac, you have a uh, trackpad. Most of us do. I mean, if you want to use a mouse, I guess you can, but if you have the trackpad, it's theoretically no different than if you did it, you know, on your iPad Pro. Now, Ferrite, that developer, of course, uh, Juice, said, no, we don't want to do that. We're going to write our own version. We think it's subpar. I disagree with that. I think it would actually be just fine on the iPad Pro. I think it'd be just fine, too. And, you know, that sort of thing sort of frustrates me, too, is that, you know, some of these developers are withholding it so that you can't do things like that. But I want to see, again, like you mentioned, more of the professional apps, but I don't want to see the Mac versions of those apps on the iPad. I want to see iPad versions of those products on the iPad. I want an iPad version of Final Cut Pro. I want an iPad version of, uh, you know, Logic. I think what Adobe is doing, even though it's, they're going slow, but they're making faster progress than I would have anticipated, is they are slowly porting these things to a touch interface. And now that they have a common CPU across all platforms they're running toward, that, you know, is a little something, at least that's something, it won't do anything to change the fact that the paradigm has to change from using years and years of legacy Photoshop code to something where it's a touch-based or pencil-based mechanism on a purely touch device. I mean, that is going to require a complete refactoring. And I'm sure 
there is no way that Apple isn't working on Final Cut Pro or Logic for iPad Pro. There's just, I refuse to believe it. <sighs> now, now Xcode, I could see that argument, but not those other two apps. Because those, those just would fly on something like this. I mean, what do you think? Well, I'll say this now. Uh, talking about Adobe, I'm a very light Photoshop user. Um, I, my use set is <laughs> very, very little. Um, other than recropping an image, um, I, I jump into an image editor very, very little. Lightroom, on the other hand, I use Lightroom a lot. And I will, shoot, I'll go ahead and say it. Lightroom on the iPad runs better. I like it infinitely better than I do on a Windows or Mac desktop. Um, on my Windows, I, I still have it right now on my Windows 10 machine. I use Lightroom Classic just because that's what I've always been used to. Um, but Adobe has got it done right. When you have the subscription, I put the things in my Windows machine. It uploads, it converts it to Adobe's DNG format, I think it is. I forget what they call their format. Uh, puts it up in the Adobe Cloud, and then I turn my iPad on. It syncs the pictures down, and it's it's right there back and forth. I can do this. I can do it the same way, but for some reason, it seems like it uploads faster from the Windows than it does from the iPad. But it's it's perfect at that point, and it's seamless. I can go on my iPad, I can change, I can do color corrections, and, okay, yeah. I, I can do that, do the color corrections, come back, and it comes back, and the changes are there on the Windows machine. Um, You know, and you're right, Adobe's been making faster progress than they probably should, but I have no doubt, I think they're doing it the right way because they've kind of got their cloud solution in place, but you can you can seamlessly jump back and forth. Um, They've ported Lightroom to the M1, haven't they? Oh yeah, all that stuff was native. They were some of the first developers to go native on the M1. I think they said uh, day of launch. They said you know all of our stuff, of course, runs fine under Rosetta two, and then they were very quick to have M1 support for all their stuff. And I know they're bringing, they're talking about bringing the whole suite at this point. I know Illustrator and InDesign are on their way to the iPad, and I'm sure Premiere will be down there at some point. Um, I agree with you. I, I would really like to think that Apple is working on bringing Final Cut Pro and Logic to the iPad and Xcode. I would like to think that. But, man, we've not heard a single peep out of any of that. There's not even rumors coming from, you know, uh, Bloomberg or China or anywhere else that it's coming along. And well, I mean, I WWDC would, is not that far away. We're three weeks away, two weeks away, something like that. It's 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 two and a half weeks. Yeah, I think, shoot, it point. is this month. Yeah, it'll be. But again, we by now the rumor mill would have had something to come out. Surely. Maybe God, there were, it, maybe it, it's not even been. But I mean, it's not even been hinted at. It's not even been an afterthought in any of these rumor sheets. Um, they've got the Swift Playgrounds that's converted. It's been on iPad for quite some time now, and it's by far not a full Xcode. And it, it's not a full IDE, but it works. It, it works fine with a lot of the stuff. People have gone into that Playgrounds, and they've gotten a lot. Of, they've gotten pretty detailed Swift apps written in it. Um, just remember, though, that a lot of the leaks that you see come out for hardware come out of the supply chain. The software is kept almost entirely in Cupertino or whatever their satellite offices are, so they can keep a lid on a lot of those shocking, you know, one more thing type twists to the to the very last minute. Now, if we hear a last minute sort of, you know, we heard a rumor Xcode is coming out for the iPad, then that would be something. Hearing it weeks ahead of time, a month ahead of time, two months ahead of time would be very surprising just because they can keep it so internal and, and no one would ever know. Anything that doesn't leave the campus doesn't necessarily get 
leaked as, as easily as some of these other things. Plus, it's something that only nerds clamor for. So it's not like something that uh, it's not something that the mainstream. My mom doesn't care about X code. You know what I mean? Like it's not going to be right. making the news. What your so, mom? <laughs> so, but I'll, I'll also say that your mom probably doesn't care about an iPad Pro either. Well, that's true. That's true. Though she would like the, I'd like the tracking feature because I, I'm constantly seeing the top of her head, the side of her head, uh, as she uses those bifocals yeah, and that, can't that keep, can't keep track of the uh, the camera. Bless her heart. But uh, as we say in the South, <laughs> but uh, I am I am hopeful that we're going to see some sort of big software announcement. Just because these machines are so overpowered for what they can do, you have to at some point there has to be something on there. I would love to see them come out and announce at WWDC that you no longer need a Mac to develop for the iPad or the iPhone. You could use an iPad to develop for the iPad or the iPhone. And I know Xcode is not something trivial to to port. I know that it's it's quite cumbersome even on a Mac. If you've ever installed it and then tried to get rid of it, it uh, it's difficult for all the little droppings that it leaves all over your file system. It's, it's a mess. So I know that this is not a trivial thing, but I think it's crucial going forward for the, for the future of the iPad, for taking this seriously as a device. You're asking people to drop a lot of money on these things. And again, some of us like it because we just like having a really fast, powerful iPad, but it shouldn't be so powerful that through three or four generations of the OS, it's still running like it did the first day. And that, that seems like an odd complaint, I know. Yes and no. But it also means that the hardware is, is not being taxed. It's not... Uh, it's not... <sighs> It's capable of so much more than what they're making it do now, and that's the frustrating part. It's the equivalent of having a Lamborghini and only driving it around Columbus, Mississippi. There you go. Yes, you've got a Lamborghini, and yes, it handles fine, but there is not a single place around here you can stretch its legs. And it's like you say, yeah, it's a weird, that's even kind of a weird comparison, but I I totally get what you're saying. It's... There's not been a single point where I've run anything on my 2018, my three-year-old iPad Pro. There's not been a single time that I've run anything on this that I'm going, man, this is just taking forever. You know, I've, I've had on LumaFusion, I've had multiple 4K sources and audios and transitions and titles and handmade Chirons. And I'm skipping back and forth and scrubbing all through it, and it's not flinching. And I'm like, God, what in the world? You know, export times, yes, it doesn't export an hour of 4K footage instantly. Oh, darn. But it still is handling the, the, the footage in faster than real time and everything I throw at it. So what more can I ask for from it? Um, the one thing I will say that I think we've talked about before that is it's not an elegant enough solution for Apple. But with the changes to Big Sur, running Big Sur now... Um, they did change it, and everything is spaced out more. The Big Sur is set up to run in a touch environment. Now, whether that means, well, go back and look at your Catalina screenshots. And like on your file edit view menu up top, on your icons in the, the taskbar in the upper right, they're spaced out more. Go and look at your menus in Catalina and look at your menus, your drop-down menus in Big Sur. There's more space between everything. Now, that could just be somebody in the UI department saying, you know, we're, we're changing this a little bit. We're doing spacing a little better. But through all of it, it looks they've spaced it out for a reason. And it's not because screens are getting bigger. It, it may just be because they like the way it looks. So better. what are you trying to like say? I know what you're better. trying to say, but I want to hear you say it. Say well, the words, Josh. Say it. No. I, 
a month ago you would have gotten me to say that. Now I agree. I don't want to see Big Sur come to the iPad. That's not right. It's not. I also don't know that I ever see touchscreens coming to the MacBooks. I could be wrong. But I just, I think that they've, I think in a lot of instances, Apple is not really entirely sure what they want the differences between iPad OS and Mac OS to be. But I do truly believe right now that one of the the lines drawn in the sand is that touchscreens will only be on an iPad. They will not be on a MacBook at all. Now, what I could see them doing is kind of doing a reverse catalyst. I think we've even talked about it on a previous podcast before. There's a chance that with Big Sur, they have an extremely stripped down single application at a time VM version of Big Sur that would run on an M1 iPad Pro. And the whole purpose, it would be a Docker-like container that is basically a container VM that part and parcel, you could do a quick recompile of any Big Sur M1-capable software and have it run on the iPad. That would mean that Final Cut Pro would be trivial, air quotes when I say that, to port to the iPad at that point. Or Adobe Premiere. Or to insert app here of, of any type. Um, of course, there'd be a multitude of issues with that. You'd have your, there's no cross-app compatibility with any of that. It's running, it would be running in a container. But uh, from what little I understand of the hypervisor kind of stuff, you could do something like that with the hypervisor on the M1. Um, that would kind of sort of solve the porting problem. Uh, you wouldn't really have to rewrite your stuff at that point. Now, it would be really, really weird to see file edit view window help across the top of an iPad natively. Um, but I, if you've got and the, the other kicker with that, other than the big three for Apple, what other really big Mac apps are there that aren't ported to the iPad in some form or fashion? Those are the ones that are missing. So, but again, I, I do look forward to WWDC just to see, you know, what they're going to announce. Having a way to get stuff to the M1 would be something I, I think we're going to see. I mean, Rosetta's great, but I know that now that the processor line is running across the entire product set, this becomes more important than ever, especially if you're on the Mac side, to uh, to hasten that transition. I mean, it's not going to make a difference on the iOS or the uh, iPad OS world. But again, like you say, if you want to take those apps and stick them in the other direction, which I think was probably... I think they'd be more excited about porting things from the Mac to the iPad than the other way around. So that you can do it right now is kind of a neat thing from the App Store, but I don't think it's a selling point for the uh, for the Mac Mini or the MacBook Airs or any of those right now. So well, and one final point to make uh, as a for for those of us that have third or fourth gen iPad Pros, which given the processor bump, I'm going to put them in the same group. There's not really much of a reason for me to spend another thousand fifteen hundred dollars on getting a fifth gen. Um, sure, the M1 would be nice, but I don't need more processor speed. Sure, that mini LED screen is going to be absolutely gorgeous, but I don't look at my current iPad Pro screen and go, man, this is a piece of trash. I hate looking at this thing. Um, yeah, the camera tracking is really nice, but again, it's not $1,500 nice. There's going to have to be right now on the M1 MacBook or M1 iPad Pro, there is no, oh my goodness, reason to upgrade. Shoot, for the 11-inch users, there's not even a nice screen to upgrade to. The mini-LED is only in the 13-inch. So if you're an 11-inch user, there's literally no reason to upgrade to a 5th gen. Um, and if you're a 3rd gen user, you're 3 years old, Apple wants that turnover in devices, they don't have a reason. So there's going to have to be 
not have to be, but there's going to be some type of, of software lock-in to go, oh, well, these are going to be features that only work on the 5th Gen iPad Pro. You 3rd and 4th Gen guys, sorry, you're, you're just going to have to upgrade then. So I put a link in our Telegram channel, what, the other day where we talked about the speed difference? Yes, I found it now. It was a, uh, it was a tweet by Steve Trotton-Smith, and it says he, he quoted uh, from a uh, MacRumors.com uh, story that said the M1 iPad Pro is over 50% faster than the previous generation early benchmarks. And in that, uh, a quote from that article says, impressively, this means that the M1 iPad Pro is faster than a maxed out 16-inch MacBook Pro with an Intel Core i9 processor. So it blows away a MacBook Pro that was uh, Intel, and it's 50% faster than the uh, 2020 and early benchmarks. Now, what those benchmarks really mean in real-world usage, probably not much, but still, it's kind of an impressive stat. Oh, it's absolutely impressive. And again, it just speaks to the ridiculous, you know, uh, Apple's lapped the competition. They're not even pulling ahead. They've lapped them on the field at this point to everybody else. But again, if I've got a car here in my driveway that the speed limit's 55 miles an hour, but I'm currently doing zero to 60 in three seconds and it tops out at 190, why do I need to upgrade to a car that does zero to 60 in 2.8 and it tops out at 240? Uh, it's something it, what I have currently is more than I'm ever going to handle. So basically right now you're arguing against my model S and saying I should go with the model Y that Jim picked out for Tesla's. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking at it the other day. It's like, do I want to go zero to 60 at 1.9 or two point? Well, no, nah, like, like I'm getting a Tesla anytime soon, but that, uh, that was an apt comparison. I thought anywho, we've been going for about an hour and 15. So this is probably a good place to stop. I think uh, works for me. So we're not doing war and peace. Wow. For just having three of us, we talk for a while. Funny how that always seems to happen. It really does. We are too long winded, Josh. Y'all love your iPads. I don't say that to Brad because Brad is a man of a few words, but when he says it, they count. Brevity is the soul of wit. (laughs) It is. You're our silent Bob. When you finally speak, it's profound. Uh, Any closing comments, closing words, closing whatever before we go? Bring us full screen widgets on iPad, please. Please. Anything from you, man, a few words? Oh, I had something a minute ago, and I've already lost it. So, no. Drink your Ovaltine. <laughs> eh, I think that's all I got for me, too. So, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rest my weary voice until the next time. So, uh, later, fellas. Later, fellas. Later, fellas. Please visit InfiniteLoopback.com for show notes and previous episodes. Follow us on Twitter. We're at InfinLoopback. That's at I-N-F-I-N Loopback. I'm Brian B. That's at B-R-I-A-N-B. Jim is at Big Jim. That's at B-I-G-J-I-M. Jason is at J-S-N-Y-N-G. That's at J-S-N-Y-N-G. And Brad is at Meester Idol. That's at M-E-E-S-T-E-R-I-D-L-E. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.